I once booked an Airbnb by myself in an area in Arizona that I had a job interview. Since it was so far from home, I made a short trip out of it. I went with this one specific Airbnb because it was much cheaper than any hotels I could find. It was about half an hour away from where I'd be interviewing for, which was fine with me. It was off some dead-end, secluded road, and it had a nice view of the desert in the backyard. I brought my laptop with me to get work done at my at-the-time current job during the day, so that kept me busy most of the days I was there. I stayed for three days. My interview was on the second day that I was there, which was a Tuesday. I would be leaving Friday, so on Monday, the night before my interview, I was practicing interview questions for this specific company, and just generally getting some last-minute knowledge on their firm. I was doing this on my laptop in the living room of the little house, probably around 9pm, when there was a tap at the window. I say tap because it wasn't exactly a knock, it sounded more like it could have been someone's finger. My head of course swung to the left to look at the window in reaction. I didn't see anyone, but it was also pitch black outside. I was kind of scared to look out the window, but I had to be a man and just do it. And there was no one as far as the eye could see, just darkness. Of course, maybe it could have been a bug hitting the window. We've got some pretty nasty bugs here after all. The next day, I got through my interview and thought I did pretty well. So for the rest of my little trip there, I explored different parts of the town in my car, ate at different restaurants, and sat in the backyard and relaxed in the sun. Little did I know, I was likely being watched while I was in the backyard. That night, I was inside watching Breaking Bad on Netflix when it happened again. A single tap at the window. Now it was obvious it wasn't a bug. I was even more disturbed now but once again rushed to the window. Even though I saw no one, that didn't mean someone wasn't out there. I checked the windows by the front door, then opened the door and looked outside for a second. Since there was no one there, I went back inside and then went to the back door. I stepped outside onto the back porch and looked out to the desert behind the house. Silence and darkness. And then I heard a click. A sound someone made, like clicking their tongue at the roof of their mouth. It was off in the distance, beyond the light from the house. It was out somewhere in that cold desert. I felt as though someone could be hiding behind any number of those bushes, watching me and toying with me. I yelled out, and almost as if they did it in response, there was another click. I pinpointed the direction it came from, and looked that way. I could see someone now, standing not too far away, dressed in dark clothes, blending into the darkness of the desert. I started walking a little closer, then stopped realizing I didn't want to get any closer to that person. I called out, you're on private property, I'm going to call the cops if you don't leave. And I saw the person eerily quickly walk away. I theorized it was the Airbnb owner, but obviously that was a stretch and I didn't really know what to actually think. The night following, I was in my bed on my laptop watching Breaking Bad again before going to bed. I think I watched two episodes, so I was doing this for about an hour and a half. I didn't hear any noises in the house though I was definitely giving thought to that encounter from earlier while watching the show. When I finally turned off the light in the room and tried to fall asleep, within 10 seconds, there was a click sound again, muffled from the inside of the closet. I looked at the closet door, which was open just a crack. Then, a pretty natural response, I sprang off the bed, still in my PJs, and ran to the car. I sat in the driveway with the car running, and I called 911. I stared at the house as I spoke to the dispatcher, waiting to see if someone would come out because all of my stuff was still in there. A police car arrived, and upon entering the house, we did a quick investigation of the house together. It was very small with not many places to hide. Conclusively, I still packed my stuff and left that place that night for a nearby hotel. I contacted both Airbnb and the host, and I was only able to get a partial refund for my stay. 
I still think it may have been the host of the Airbnb. I mean, who else would have access to the house? There were no signs of forced entry, which leads me to believe whoever it was may have had a key. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was a stranger who snuck in at an opportune time. My wife Cheryl and I have been together for 10 years, and we got married two years ago. We just got a house together not even a month ago, and things couldn't have started on a worse note. We moved to a small inland town of Georgia called Waycross. That's all the details I'm giving though to avoid any more possible issues. We're on a quiet street with a big property that sits in front of a medium-sized patch of woods, which was one of the factors that really appealed to my wife and I. We plan to adopt a dog and raise kids here, so we wanted a big property for the dog and kids to play around on. We both work similar shifts. I get home around 5 and she gets home around 6 most of the time. The first two nights in the house went completely normal. It was the weekend, so we spent our entire days unpacking. It wasn't until Monday night, when we were both in bed, only having turned the lights out maybe 20 minutes ago, that outside from the backyard, there was the sound of this blasting music. Our nearest neighbors on either side were spaced out enough where we couldn't mistake music from their yards being in our yard. It was definitely in our backyard, and it wasn't party music or anything like that. It sounded like very old, staticky, vintage music. The windows were shut, so after my wife and I exchanged horrified glances at each other and wondered where the music could be coming from, I opened my window on my side of the bed, and it was much clearer. There was some song that sounded like it was from the 1940s or something blasting. I later found out after looking up the lyrics that the song name was Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf by Henry Hall. It has a slight eerie vibe to it for some reason, even though it was meant to be a happy song. But at the time of listening to it coming from our backyard, it was nothing but downright horrifying. We were still learning the house, but we figured there must be a backyard light switch downstairs. I ran downstairs to the back door and flicked the light switches next to the door, and one of them turned on the backyard lights. I didn't see anyone in the backyard. I opened the door, and the music was louder, obviously. But as I walked out into the grass, I realized it wasn't coming from the backyard, rather from the woods. The song played to completion as I was outside in the yard just standing there looking around. When the song ended, there was silence again. It seemed like someone must have been playing some stupid housewarming prank, but it wasn't appreciated. I went back to my wife and told her it was probably just some kids trying to scare the new ones in town for whatever reason. Hearing myself even say that, I realized how stupid and weird it sounded. Why would anyone do that? The next night, it happened again. A few minutes after we turned out the lights in the bedroom, music from outside started blasting. This time much louder, and the song playing was that song everyone's heard tiptoe through the tulips. Cheryl and I once again looked at each other, this time in genuine disgust and worry, because we had hoped it was just going to be a one-time thing, but it was happening again. I looked out the window, and this time I could see something on the grass. It wasn't a person, but there was definitely something out there. I told my wife I was going to check it out. She said we should just call the cops, and I said yeah, we will in a second. I went out there with this mindset that I need to establish I'm the man of the house not just to my wife, but to whoever was thinking they could mess with us just for being the new people on the block. When I was in the yard, I saw the object in the grass was smaller than I had thought, but the blaring, creepy song was coming from it. I realized it was an old radio. I turned it off and looked up at the window at my wife who was watching, and I held it up, yelling that someone left it there to scare us with the music. 
What she did next was not something I expected in response to that. She started screaming my name to run inside. She kept screaming, run. I yelled, why? And she screamed back, there's people standing behind you. This statement made my heart skip a beat, and I turned around to face the woods. I saw three figures standing like six feet apart from each other, clearly facing my direction. They weren't running at me, they were just standing there. I yelled, oh shit, and ran back inside the house, slamming the door behind me. My wife was upstairs, hysterical crying already. I told her I'd call the cops, and I did. They arrived thankfully not that long after. All the while, we were scared to hear knocks at one of the doors or windows. My wife and I desperately explained the situation to both of the police that arrived, and I showed them the radio on the ground. I asked them if they could take it back with them as evidence for prints, and told them I only touched the top part with the handle. They did take the radio. They also checked the front of the woods with their flashlights for a few minutes, probably just as a deterrent to the people in the woods to stop their behavior if they were still there. When the police left, honestly, we went right back to feeling vulnerable and scared. But thank Christ the people never returned. This was only a few weeks ago, though. God forbid they came back, I'd try to get it on video. I've worked as a nurse in multiple hospitals and facilities. Before the current hospital I work at, I worked at a geriatric hospital 30 minutes from my house. I had experience working with older patients before, so this was nothing new to me. I had been working at this hospital for only a couple of weeks, and you'll soon understand why. This was on my second to last shift at this hospital, unbeknownst to me at the start of that night. I was working the graveyard shift, and I was running on negative hours of sleep. I was assigned to the Alzheimer's ward. The patients in this ward absolutely adored me. My presence as a young girl in her 20s among the residents of this ward who were otherwise left to themselves to float around in their minds, I'm sure saw me as a breath of fresh air, someone who could tie them to the now or to the everyday. If you're just left to yourself, you can mentally go to other places, but with someone else in your space, you're tied to that moment in time. I was dealing with a number of patients that night, but one was a little more restless than the others. Her name was Lena. This was my first night dealing with her and she kept telling me any time I'd enter her room about the voices she kept hearing and the man dressed in black she kept seeing in the corner of the room. The other lady in her room requested her curtain be closed before my shift started so that Lena would leave her alone. She was a sweet lady that smiled whenever I was around her, but she didn't say much and was very forgetful. Since I started my shift around 9pm, most of the patients were asleep by 11, but not Lena. Whenever she called me into the room, she'd be frightened of these alleged voices she was hearing and the man in black that kept staring at her in the corner of the room. Not gonna lie, it was creeping me out a little. I believed that in her mind she was seeing and hearing these things, and I sympathized with her because I imagined them to be very scary. But still, I tried my best to calm her down and get her to go to sleep. I didn't want to turn on the TV to calm her down because I wanted to be courteous of the other patient in the room. I held Lena's hands and told her it's okay, to breathe and to relax. I reminded her that she wasn't here alone, and I was always just a call away. This seemed to do the trick. Lena relaxed for a while, and the next time I came in the room, she was asleep. Once most, if not all, of the patients are asleep, the night goes much slower. Time almost moves in reverse. An hour or two later, I was in the linen room stocking my cart, when I heard something in the room. It was a relatively small, dead quiet room. I had the door closed too. That's why hearing another noise was weird. I turned, saw nothing, and resumed stocking my cart. 
Then, I felt what I can only describe to be a hand on my shoulder. I looked at my shoulder, jumped, and screamed, but there was nothing on my shoulder. There was no one in the room. Yet, I knew I felt something large basically grab my shoulder. I went out in the hall for a second to peek my head. No other nurses in sight. Dead quiet. I had nothing else to do but resume what I was doing. I continued stocking the card until it was full. Then I turned to face the door. And I fell to the floor and started screaming as my heart was immediately in my throat. There was a man dressed in black standing outside the door, looking through the glass, smiling. My screams were loud enough to wake the entire ward. The man disappeared out of sight through the glass window of the door. Seconds later, the door opened and one of my fellow nurses came in to help me off the floor as I was hysterical. I asked her if she saw the man dressed in black. Her response was, what man? There's no one else here. We checked all the rooms in the ward. There wasn't anybody dressed in black in there. My screams woke Lena from whatever light sleep she must have been in, and when I came into her room, she started talking of the voices, this time the screams, which she didn't know were my screams. I asked her what this man in black looked like, if he was smiling, and she looked at me, and I noticed her eyebrows point down, as her expression changed to look the most focused I'd seen her the entire day. She asked, how did you know? And even with my heart still racing, I felt it skip a beat as she said this. She started screaming now, screaming, get me out of here, he's coming. The other nurses came in and tried to calm her down. I was switched to a different ward that night with someone else, and I eventually ended up going home early because I was just so freaked out. I texted the head nurse the next day that my next shift would be my last, that the experience traumatized me and that I didn't really want to be in that building anymore. I got as friendly of a response as I could have hoped for. I've never been diagnosed with anything, nor have I ever dealt with hallucinations of any kind. I'm aware of the effects of lack of sleep, but this was next level. I don't know if my mind started playing tricks on me from what Lena was telling me all night, but the feeling of the hand on my shoulder, the image of the smiling man behind the glass door, matching the description a patient kept giving multiple times, this was one of those once-in-a-lifetime unexplainable supernatural occurrences. At least, I hope it was once in a lifetime. I was driving home from work one night, taking my usual route home. I got out at midnight, so it was probably 12.15ish at this point. My town is pretty quiet and boring. A lot of woods everywhere, and not a lot of people or houses. I was on this road not far from my house with a cornfield on one side and a patch of woods on the other. It was midsummer and like 75 degrees, so I had my convertible top down. I was cruising down the street going like 50 when I heard a loud, blood-curdling woman's scream come from one side of the road, but I couldn't tell which one. I brought the car to a quick halt by slamming on the brakes and listening. There was a woman's cry from the left side, in the woods. She was crying for help. I got out of my car and grabbed the baton from my back seat. I walked towards the woods and called back who was out there, and the woman immediately called back, please help me. I began to run into the woods, swiping all the twigs and bushes out of my way. I yelled out to the woman to keep screaming so I could find her. She'd every 10 seconds or so scream help, and I'd approach in that direction, running, screaming back. But pretty soon, I started to realize no matter how far into the woods I went, the woman's yells didn't seem to get any closer or louder. If anything, they were always the same distance, even though I was booking it straight in the direction of the screams. 
I screamed out, tell me where you are. And about five seconds later, the woman once again screamed out, help. I stopped in my tracks now. I didn't like this. I started to feel like I was walking into some kind of trap. I turned around and started running back in the direction I came. I ran and ran until I could see the flashing headlights of my car on the side of the road beyond the trees. The whole way back, I still heard the woman's screams, but they were still the same distance no matter how much closer to my car I got, as if she were following me back. Was I being stalked? I got in my car and just drove out of there, completely freaked out. I called 911 to report it to the authorities in case they'd want to investigate it. I wasn't sticking around there though, I was tired. After telling a few friends and family about the strange encounter, I was ready to move on with my life. But a week later, I saw something on the news that made me sick to my stomach. The dead body of a 30-something-year-old woman was found in the woods by a man hiking with his dog. Oddly, there were no signs of foul play. The location that the body was reported to have been found was the same general area where I heard the screams. While that patch of woods is very big, I can't help but feel that would be a huge coincidence. Back before my girlfriend Jenny and I officially started dating, we would still hang out all the time. We both snowboard, and her family has a little cabin-type house in Vermont not far from Stowe Mountain Resort. This was around our maybe 10th time hanging out. She invited me to go up there for a weekend with her to go snowboarding for the first time together. It was like a five-hour drive. As we neared her little house, we spent about half an hour on this very windy, secluded road on which we'd pass occasional driveways that would lead up into properties blocked off by walls of trees. We were way up there in the mountains. The sight of other cars by this point was something to behold. It really felt like we were alone up there. A lot of the driveways didn't even have tire marks in the snow, meaning even a lot of the houses were void of people. Jenny told me that's because a lot of the houses here were owned by people out of state, just like her situation. I was going like 30 when she yelled at me to slow down it's coming up, so I hit the brakes, and this little opening in the trees that I otherwise would have missed came up. We drove this narrow trail and four-wheel drive which led to this small house covered in snow. It looked incredibly cozy. We parked and first thing we did was turn the heat on in the little house. We unloaded our stuff inside, and since it was already getting dark that night, we just cooked some of the food we packed for dinner and watched a movie, Pursuit of Happiness actually. So the house had just about everything, heat, electricity, except running water. Her family had jugs and jugs of water for important things like washing hands and plates and stuff, but there was no working toilet, so she told me we had to use the outhouse outside. I only had to go pee that night, so I just went out to the front deck and peed into the snow. It was also snowing out that night. We fell asleep at some point during the second movie we watched, and we woke up pretty early to our phone alarms. We wanted the freshies on the mountain. We started getting ready to drive up to the ski resort. After breakfast, I had to go out to the outhouse though. I ran out to the outhouse in my shoes and my feet started to freeze. On my way to the outhouse though, I saw footprints in the snow. They were kind of big, but I couldn't tell if they were boot marks or animal prints. I followed the trail and it actually wrapped around the house and then went into the woods. I called Jenny outside and she came to look and said it was probably a black bear since they're everywhere up here. So I went, did my business, and we set off to the ski resort, where we had a good 8-hour run. Afterwards, we stopped at a diner to eat, and then went back to the house. By this point, it was pitch black outside and snowing again. We set up a fire and got the heat on full blast and started blasting some music. 
we started to drink, and eventually I had to break the seal and pee. But also, if I was throwing my boots on anyway, I figured I'd do all my business in the outhouse. I ran out into the snowstorm and to the outhouse once more. This time I slammed the door shut to prevent snow and cold air blowing in my face. I heard the blasting music from inside the house still, but then over that, I heard the crunching sound of footsteps in the snow, passing the outhouse. Jenny? I yelled. No answer. The footsteps just walked away. I brought my phone with me, so I just texted her, are you outside? It didn't immediately deliver though, because my cell reception sucked up there. A few minutes passed and I was still in the outhouse. I was just about to finish when the blasting music suddenly stopped. It was just pure silence, minus the sound of snowflakes hitting the ground outside. As soon as I stepped out of the outhouse, I realized it was pitch black out here now. The lights from the house were off. I figured maybe the power went out. I used my phone's flashlight and noticed a fresh pair of footsteps in the snow leading to the house. I followed the footsteps to the front door, where they seemed to stop, then continue around the house. I banged on the door and yelled Jenny's name. Suddenly the door opened and an arm pulled me inside the house. It was Jenny. She slammed the door shut and locked it. She whispered that there was a man who tried to open the door, which she locked as soon as I went to the outhouse because she was scared being alone. When she saw the person at the door wasn't me, she cut the power and hid in a corner in the living room and watched in horror as a stranger walked past the living room window slowly, looking inside. I came to the door only a couple minutes after this happened. Jenny told me about the secret cellar in the floor that her dad kept a couple rifles and shotgun in. Navigating in the dark, I found the handle to it and lifted it open. Now using my flashlight, I climbed down the little ladder and grabbed one of the guns off the wall. We then waited on the couch in the dark, afraid to turn the lights back on, exposing ourselves to whoever was out there. The closest neighbors were not a short walk. Jenny said it wouldn't have been any of them, and odds are they weren't even in Vermont right now. Once again, the only sound was the sound of snowflakes hitting the ground outside, until the sickening sound of footsteps in the snow outside returned. I took the loaded gun and marched to the front door, opened it, and shot like three rounds into the air, screaming. The footstep sounds were gone. I'd imagine they ran off and the sound of the shots echoing into the air masked the sound of the footsteps running away. We left the next morning under the recommendation of her father, who said it's best to not be there at the moment. They don't really have anything they're worried about being stolen, so we just got the hell out of there the next day. At least we got our full day of snowboarding in. That horrific night was definitely an experience, to say the least. My name is Howard, I'm 25 years old, and I live on my family's farm. I help take care of it when my parents are out of town. It's just a little family farm, not a commercial farm or anything like that. My parents want me to take it over when they're too old to take care of it anymore as I'm the oldest of three and the only son. But honestly, I don't really want to. I don't see myself staying in the middle of Arkansas my whole life, and especially not after something really weird that happened only last July. My parents were on a romantic trip for a week, and so it was my two sisters Crystal and Morgan and I taking care of the property while they were gone. There's not much around here, lots of privacy and such, a little too much in my opinion. Except for this one night. It started later on in the night as it was approaching time to go to bed. My sisters do college online. Crystal takes summer courses, and so she was in her room on her laptop doing work. Morgan and I were just hanging out watching some dumb show in the living room. All three of us kind of want to get out of the farm lifestyle. 
me especially since I'm oldest and in the prime of my 20s. One dreaded part of farm life is the predators though. Not just the animals that come and eat your produce, but the people that come and steal from you. Believe it or not, it happens. It hasn't happened many times to us, but it does happen. We have a few guns in the house for this exact reason. Our two dogs outside suddenly started going crazy in the backyard. Something spooked them for sure. I first thing went outside to the yard to see what they were barking at. They both were looking in the direction of the crops going crazy. I yelled at them to shut up and they went quiet. I stepped right in front of the crops and listened. I heard a whistling from inside of the cornfield. It was undoubtedly a human's whistling. This was the first time I was experiencing a trespasser on the property with my dad not here. I had to hurry inside to get one of the guns. The dogs started barking again. I told my sisters that someone's outside in the cornfield and I had to go chase them away. They both said that was a terrible idea to go run into the cornfield in the dark, and they knocked some sense into me when I realized they were right. I also realized how downright terrifying that would be. So instead, I went out back to the dogs once more going crazy barking in the direction of the crops. I aimed the gun into the air and fired off a shot which echoed into the night, silencing the dogs. I also was on some kind of power trip in the moment and screamed out to get off our land as loud as I could. I felt that would have done the trick and went back inside. My sisters were both laughing which caused me to laugh too, but our little laugh amongst each other didn't last long because the dogs started going crazy again, even crazier this time. I went back outside ready to do the same thing again, but I felt my heart skip a beat when I saw the guy standing about 20 feet from the dogs right in front of the cornfield. He looked at me and I screamed hey, at which point he ran into the cornfield. I started running over and fired another shot into the air. I stopped by the dogs, there was no chance in hell I was going in there. I wasn't about to leave the dogs out here either. I unclamped their chains from the hooks and brought them inside the house. I told my sister someone was sneaking around in the cornfield. So what did we do? We called our dad. He told me I had to be the man of the house and protect my sisters. He recommended I fire another warning shot outside if whoever it was came back. After this, we all just gradually went to our respective rooms. My sisters each brought one of the dogs in their rooms and I brought the gun in my room, just because we were all a little spooked by this. I had the window open, and as I was laying in bed watching a movie on my laptop, I heard a whistling from outside. I hurried to the window and looked out to see someone slowly walking in the grass. Then, like he had some sixth sense, he stopped walking and turned to look at my window, still whistling. This jerk was obviously trying to mess with us and scare us. A very stupid idea when I already made it clear I had a gun. I ran to grab the gun off the bed and aimed it out the window. I shot at the grass a few feet away from him, purposely missing of course. This cut his little horror movie act short and he ran out of view of my window towards the front of the house. This time he didn't come back, he'd have to be a fool to come back after that. I obviously told my sisters why I shot and I assured them he would not be coming back. We never found out who it was or why. It could have been some teen or multiple teens just trying to scare some innocent farmers for fun or it could have been an actually dangerous person. I used to work as a night restock worker at a supermarket in a somewhat rural town. The store was called Great American. It was the biggest and best supermarket in the area. My shift would be as soon as the store would close at 10. 
I'd work from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. the latest, restocking the shelves and organizing everything before the next operating day. I of course had the keys to the store for the after hours. It would be a team of two, myself and one other, either Terry, Carter, or Alfonso. Tonight I was supposed to be working with Terry. I arrived to the store and let myself into the back where all the inventory yet to be stocked was. I started my work using the pallet jack to bring a whole pallet of boxes out to the shopping floor. I started with the bread and nuts aisle, rotating the older loaves in the front and putting the newer loaves in the back. Halfway through, I realized I hadn't seen Terry yet. I walked to the back area of the store where the inventory was, where we'd leave our belongings. He wasn't back there yet. I left the back door cracked open with a door stopper for him when he would show up. So I went back to work for another half hour. And with still no sign of Terry, I once again went to the back of the store. He wasn't in there, but I noticed the back door was shut. I assumed that meant Terry was here somewhere. I went to open the back door and saw the door stopper was outside, which I thought was weird that he kicked it outside instead of bringing it in. I called Terry's name and it echoed through the room. He didn't call back, so I decided to call him. He picked up, sounding like he was in bed, and I asked him if he was at work. He said he wasn't coming in tonight because he was sick. Suddenly I got the chills. I told him someone kicked the doorstopper off the door, and he said it could have just come undone itself. Nobody else was scheduled to work that night. I told him feel better, and we hung up. I wasn't sure if I was convinced that the doorstopper came undone itself, because I kicked it under the door pretty tightly. I did a quick look around just to make sure no one was in the back of the store, and when I didn't see anyone, I went back to work, though I felt a slight sense of unease the whole time. I was stocking the remainder of the bread when I heard a loud sound echo from across the shopping floor. Okay, now someone had to be in here. I got off my knees and went to the middle aisle that intersected all the other aisles. I looked straight down the aisle and stood there for a hot second. And all the way on the opposite side of the store in the dairy aisle, a man dressed in black walked past the middle aisle, looking down in my direction. I felt my heart drop. It felt like that scene from the movie Signs where the alien walks past the birthday party. I had to think logically that maybe this was someone else filling in for Terry's shift that our boss didn't tell me about. I started to speed walk down the center aisle and yelled excuse me very loudly. I looked to the left down every aisle I passed since he went towards the front of the store. In one of those aisles, he was waiting at the end of it, standing there fully facing my direction. When he saw me, he walked out of sight in the direction I was just coming from. I yelled excuse me again and started to run down that aisle to catch up to him. I didn't get a good look at his face yet. When I got to the front of the aisle by the cash registers, I looked down the direction he went and I saw him all the way at the end by the bread aisle. Half his body was hidden behind the shelf. His mouth was hanging open and he started to wave me over, but he didn't say anything. His face was freaking me out. I attempted one more time to speak to him and said, who are you? And he disappeared behind the shelf. I wasn't being paid enough for this. I went outside to sit in my car and call my boss. He picked up and I told him there was some random freak roaming around the store. He told me to get him out of there if I can, or call the police to get him out. I was not going to attempt to physically remove a crazy person from the store, so I called 911. I waited in my car until a police car showed up. I greeted the officer and asked him to follow me inside. We walked around the place looking for the man, and we saw him at one of the aisles again, creepily standing there again as if playing a game. When the police officer commanded him to come here, he actually listened. 
He was put in handcuffs, and he was the strangest man I'd ever seen. He kept smiling and looking at me non-stop, licking his lips. He had huge bags under his eyes. The only words he spoke were when answering the police officer, saying he was looking for a snack. I didn't like the way he was looking at me as the police officer was walking him back outside to his car. It was this menacing, threatening smile that I haven't forgotten to this day. I continued my work after that. Needless to say, I never left any of the doors open again. A long time ago, I'm talking like eight years ago, two friends and I, James and Sean, did something really stupid. But at the time, doing stupid things was what we did to pass the time. We're not really friends with James anymore, but Sean and I still talk often, and so oftentimes we'll talk with each other about this story. We were 19 years old. We lived in Bumfuck, New Jersey. Lots of vacant houses in our old town. And atop a hilly road not far from our houses was an abandoned church. Locals knew about the church. It was on a closed-off road, and it had been abandoned for many years. I'm not sure if it's still standing or what the current state of it is, as I live in Florida now. But James, Sean, and I being the troublemaking thrill-seekers we were, came up with this genius plan of bringing a Ouija board to the church late one night. This was October, so I guess we were doing it in honor of spooky season. Sean had the Ouija board in his closet, so he brought it. I drove the three of us, so I first picked up James, then Sean, and we just drove straight towards the church. Since the road up the hill to the church was literally blocked off, we had to park on the side of the road and walk from there. We followed the road up the hill to the church, using one flashlight at first so as not to overdo it and draw any possible attention. But once we were atop the hill, we pretty much all three of us turned on our flashlights. The church was surrounded by woods in basically all directions and had a gravel parking lot alongside it. The church had been broken into a million times before and was littered with graffiti. So the big front door was already ajar. Two of us had to work together to pull it open because it scraped on the floor though. Once inside, we naturally just looked around the place with our flashlights to make sure no one else was in there. It was definitely creepy being in that place at night. Sean set up the Ouija board. Then he pulled out these three candles from his backpack as well, and he laughed and said it would add to the experience. He placed the three candles in a triangle formation around the board, and as they were all lit, we turned off our flashlights. Now the only light in the whole place was from the candles, creating a much more eerie and uncomfortable vibe. We really couldn't see more than maybe six feet in all directions. So, we began playing with the Ouija board. Sean was doing most of the talking. At this point, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he definitely opened with, is anybody there, and the typical cliche Ouija board questions. The planchette started to move, and we started to laugh. I knew it was one of them doing it. I feel like it's not possible to play with a Ouija board with your friends without someone jokingly moving around the planchette. We went along with it though, and whoever was moving it spelled out a few words. As this was going on though, we heard a weird crack type sound come from the altar of the church. Best way I could describe it is it sounded like a big piece of wood cracking in half. It was loud and it sounded like it was done by someone. We all jumped in reaction and hurried to shine our phone's flashlights in the direction of the altar. There was no one there as far as we could see. I think both of them were just as freaked out as I was after that. But the place was old and falling apart, so some weird noises here and there didn't seem that crazy, and so we kept going. We all took turns asking the board questions, but the planchette was no longer moving. I think because that crack sound freaked all three of us out and now we were taking it more seriously. 
This went on for some time, until another sound from the altar area broke the silence again. But before we even had time to shine our lights over there again, something landed on the Ouija board, causing all of us to jump and scream. It was a rock about the size of a golf ball. All three of us just had our hands on the planchette two seconds ago, and there was no way any of us could have done that. We all three got up and ran back out of the church, screaming, leaving the Ouija board and candles behind. We ran all the way down the hill and back to my car, and fearing we were being chased, we didn't stick around. I drove us all back to James's house, where we just sat in the car for a good half hour talking, wondering what exactly just happened. Sean is very religious and superstitious as well. He was confident we had reached a spirit of some kind. I don't really believe in any of that stuff. I believe there was someone else in the church with us, which I find to be equally terrifying. Sean went back to the church the next day with James to get his Ouija board back. And to make things even stranger, the Ouija board was missing, but the candles were still in place. When they saw it was missing from the entrance, they decided to just leave right away. This remains to be the single scariest experience of my life. Years ago, I did the night shift at a gas station because I was strapped for cash and needed a second job. I worked the night shift there for a few months. It was around my second or third month that this guy started regularly coming in really late at night, always around 2 a.m. He was about six feet tall. He had long, stringy hair. He'd always come in, buy a tall boy, and leave. But after a while, he one night asked me my name. I told him my name, and he just kept saying, Rob, I like that, as he'd laugh to himself. He cracked open the tall boy he just bought and walked out of the store talking to himself. He was clearly hammered. This was the night I was curious to see if he had been drinking and driving every single time that he'd come to the store. I watched as he left, and he walked out of sight off the gas station property. That would make sense. He never once bought gas anytime he came in. He'd always just buy alcohol. I'd seen him just about every night after that for a while. He'd come in, some nights noticeably drunker than others, and sometimes he'd just lean on one of the shelves for a while and not say anything. He'd always greet me with a hay rod anytime he'd come in. One night he was just leaning on a shelf, drinking the tall boy he just bought, not saying anything, just staring at a wall. I asked him for his name finally. He looked at me, took about five seconds, and said, Bob. Now I always felt like Bob is a go-to fake name when you're lying about your name. I wondered if the first thing that came to mind for him was Bob because it rhymes with my name, but I went with it. I said, so Bob, where do you work? He laughed so loud it actually startled me. He said he doesn't work. He said the government completely fucked him out of his job. I got the vibe he was wasted again. He looked at me with an angry looking face, but interestingly said, I like you Rob, you seem like you know what you're doing. I didn't know what that meant, but he walked out of the store right after that. I didn't see him again for a while. I'd say over a week passed, which for a regular like him was a while. Bob always gave me this off, mildly creepy vibe. I figured he was usually drunk, but something was obviously wrong in his personal life. Well, one very stormy night, with less customers than usual, likely because of the storm, I heard the ding of the front door as someone entered, and I swear before looking I imagined it to be Bob, and when I looked, I was shocked to see it was actually him, but it was a much scarier version of Bob. He was completely soaked. He wasn't wearing a rain jacket or using an umbrella. 
He was just in a dark shirt and jeans. His long hair was drenched, and he was just standing by the door, looking straight ahead at the wall. He looked like he was angry, and yet his mind was elsewhere, like his thoughts were running. The way he was standing there blankly, staring at nothing, completely soaked, it was freaking me out. I said, Bob, are you okay? He didn't turn his head or move. He stood still and said, I did something really bad. I asked, what did you do? He then looked at me, said, I need somewhere to hide, then walked past me at the register towards the little restroom hallway. He disappeared behind the wall, and I heard one of the doors open and close. I was genuinely getting uncomfortable with Bob now. I didn't enjoy his presence whenever he was in the store, and tonight something was extra off about him. He seemed like a zombie, and that I did something really bad comment was incredibly creepy. Some time passed, and Bob never came out from the bathroom. I assumed he was wasted again, probably passed out or puking. Either way, I didn't want to intervene. And then, the next thing I remember, the lights to the place cut out, and the store was completely dark. I was standing in a pitch-dark gas station during a major storm with an unhinged drunk man. I used the flashlight from behind the counter to make my way towards the back of the store by the inventory storage and the panel board. The door to the back was in the same little hallway as the restrooms. As I walked by the two restroom doors, both of them were ajar, and Bob wasn't in either of them. I went through the door to the back. I was planning on going straight to the panel board, but I stopped when I heard a slight dripping in the room somewhere, and the squeaking of wet shoes. My heart sank into my stomach. I said, Bob, in a very weak and scared voice. I heard squeaks right to my left. When I pointed my flashlight in that corner, there was Bob, with his eyes opened wide, and he lunged at me and started screaming, I'm gonna fucking kill you. I pushed him off of me as he was clawing at my back. I ran back through the door to the front of the store. He didn't follow me. I grabbed my rain jacket and ran straight to my car. I sat in my car as I dialed 911 and spoke to an operator. I stayed on the line with her, and it didn't take long for a couple police officers to arrive and go inside with me. Bob was still hiding in the back room, huddled in a corner, apparently like some rabid creature. His pupils were huge, I only noticed it then. He was on something. They took him to the station after I told them that he lunged at me, threatened to kill me, and stated that he did something really bad earlier. I found out over a month later that this Bob guy's real name was Martin, and he had brutally beaten his ex-wife to death. It might have happened on that same night that he came into the gas station. Long story short, I never wanted to work another night shift at any job ever again after this night. When I was 19 years old, I was still working at a nearby pizza place to help pay for food and gas and stuff. The job was always pretty easy. Just taking the order, boxing up the food when it's done, putting it in a bag, and driving it to the given address. I'd done it a million times before, and nothing weird ever happened. It was very repetitive. Tips would usually be around 3 to $5, depending on the distance. Sometimes more generous people would give 10 or more, though. I remember this order was just a chicken parm hero and a regular slice. Smaller orders like this usually yielded lesser tips but I didn't have a choice in which deliveries I did. I was on my way to the address, and of course, the house was apparently on a dead-end block. 
This block had a more rural feel to it than the rest of the neighborhood. One of the houses had an RV sitting on the grass with a small patch of woods next to it. The other houses looked like little farmhouses. There was a lot more space on this particular street. And then I pulled up to the address. It was this small, weird-looking house with a huge property, though. It sat next to what appeared to be an abandoned house with overgrown grass and shrubs. It was probably around 6 p.m. and it was getting pretty dark out. So it was around the time people would start putting on their lights inside their houses. But all the lights in the house were off. And I noticed the front door seemed cracked open. I began to walk over to the front door. And I heard a piano being played. It sounded like it was a couple rooms away at least. Muffled by some walls or a door or something. I knocked on the door and then rang the bell after a few minutes. Only the doorbell didn't work. The piano was still playing. I felt weird just walking in, so I walked around the property towards the back. The backyard was a literal mess, things scattered all over the grass. I even saw a broken, rusty chain-link fence just sitting in the middle of the yard. I went to the back door and knocked really loud. I looked through the glass of the door and saw nothing except for what looked like a really messy storm room. Clearly these people were not neat freaks to say the least. When nobody answered the back door either, I went back around front and called one of the guys at the pizzeria to confirm the address with him. He took a second to check what he wrote down, and he confirmed that I was at the correct address. So I went back to the front door, pushed it open, and heard the creepy sounding piano music still playing. I yelled, pizza's here. The piano stopped. Someone yelled, over here. Then the piano resumed. They were playing this simple yet creepy repetitive song as if on loop. There were also no lights on in this house, so it was almost hard to see in there. I walked straight, getting closer to the sound of the music. The smell inside the house was very musty and off-putting. When I got halfway into, I guess what you'd call the foyer, I felt very uncomfortable. I wasn't going to go any further. I yelled, I'm by the front door, sir. The music stopped, this time for good, and now there was just silence. I backed towards the door again so that I would be closer to the outside. I was expecting to hear footsteps coming towards me, but no, it was just dead silent. I said, sir? And a voice from another room said, yes, sorry, I have trouble walking. Could you just bring it in here, please? I asked, what room are you in, sir? And he took a moment to answer back, if you just walk through the living room, I'm in the dining room. There were no directions on the phone to do any of this, so this was very strange. I thought for a second about my next course of action. I felt bad leaving in the case that this was some old, feeble man just living in a messy house. I started walking through the living room, and there was an opening that led to what I presumed to be the dining room. Me being my overly cautious and paranoid self was still suspicious. Instead of walking straight into the dining room, I peeked around the wall just enough for one eye to see into the room. I saw the piano, but there was no one sitting at it. I also didn't see anyone in the entire room. With that, I quietly but quickly walked back towards the front door, shut the door behind me, and drove back to the pizzeria. I explained that I got a sketchy vibe inside the house. My boss was completely understanding, especially when the alleged customer didn't call back asking why I left. That said everything. I didn't really understand the logic in trying to commit a robbery in your own house, and nor did my boss or co-workers. So later that night after work, I looked up that address, and that house was foreclosed on months ago, and it had been vacant. When I told this to everyone, they had the same mouth-dropping reaction I did. I was truly mere steps away from probably getting robbed. 
that or someone was trying to play a horrible prank on an unsuspecting pizza delivery guy. 